0: Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian broadcasting from the Morton Studio. Our phone lines will be open all day long. Well, hour long, I should say, at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us. Our, our email box will be open 24 7 365 at radio at agphd. All right, com. well,
1: let's get to that right away. We've got so many questions from the Ag PhD mailbag. Let's hit it right now.
0: It's the mailbag!
1: All right, Brian,
0: uh, this should be interesting. Yeah, there's a wide range of questions today. Uh, so let's start with this one. Yeah, I
1: had a lot I couldn't get to here in the last three days, so I got a bunch of them queued up for you there, too. Go ahead.
0: All right. Uh did we we did talk about the Clearfield sunflower one yesterday, I believe. We got did to we? that one. I thought didn't I thought for sure we did. Uh can you use Treflan or Sunland with the Spartan and can you till it in those kinds of things? Yeah. We had that question yep, yesterday, yep, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. I, so every, yes, you can yes, you can till it in. All right. So how about this one? Uh Today, there's a question about moles versus moles on the show. Voles
1: versus moles. Yes, we were talking about (laughs) voles the other day. Go ahead. Moles
0: versus voles. This is from Dave. He said, (laughs) Brian said, take away the mole's food, which
1: is grubs. Yep. How? Imidacloprid. Generic imidacloprid, dry, spread it on your lawn, water it in with at least an inch of water or two, and then it's after that. Well, even before that, it's safe to your animals, but, uh, but water it in, then it'll get down on the ground, kill the grubs. And when the moles don't have their food, then they'll leave. So it's pretty easy way to do it.
0: All right. Uh, Thank you for the question. Got this one in from Dan in central Nebraska. We used your three pre's this year on soybeans, wiped out everything except volunteer radishes and turnips from last year's fall cover crop. We're getting ready to put out some Anthem Max now to follow up and add some more residual. And also we've got to kill some volunteer corn. Just wondering, should we do anything for these turnips and radishes? I would. Uh, Should what we've
1: used already have taken them out or what should we do in the future? Roundup. Pretty simple. Yep, just do Roundup. It'll kill them. All right. Uh,
0: This one's from Rory. I got my garden lab results in. 8.4 pH, sky-high micro and macronutrients, just off the charts. Uh, Now, I can lower my pH and turn garden tomatoes and peppers into fruit-bearing machines. Glad that I Googled how to lower the pH. Yeah,
1: so that was one I had queued up for you, and that was just his comment. He said he watched— one of our show segments that we were talking about how to reduce pH. And, and here's the big thing that I want you to think about if you're listening today. When your pH is off, that tells you you have a nutrient imbalance. So if your pH is low, for example, almost all the time, it's you just don't have enough calcium out there. Well, if your pH is high, it could be a variety of things. Yes, it might be excess calcium, but it also could be excess sodium, excess magnesium, or some other problem.
0: All right, uh, I got this one from Adam who said, uh, you guys are talking about manure versus compost. Uh, You can kill the smell with lactobacillus. You can make it yourself really cheap. I'd love to see someone try it, though, in a dairy slurry to see if it can work on something so strong and in such high
1: quantities. Oh, that, that was just a comment. Okay, that's a comment. So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, sorry, I didn't give Darren enough prep time on these. I, had, no, okay. I, I, sh- no, I guess I should have read set. I'm all set. Go ahead.
0: This, okay, so this one comes from <laughs> Lola. Uh, what are the thoughts about the swarms of sprayer drones seeding cover crops, especially when ground is wet, or should farmers just wait until the
1: regulations
0: for these drones get worked out?
1: Okay, well, first of all, you can have swarm a swarm with three drones in a field, if I understand the regulations correctly today. So you actually can do that right now, but I don't care if you're doing it with a plane, a helicopter, or a drone. When your crop isn't out and you're trying to drop cover crop seed down on the ground, you're going to get some of it to grow if it rains, but... Number one, if it doesn't rain, it's not going to grow. And number two, you didn't place it down in the soil where we would like to put the seed. So I'll just tell you on our own farm, we're going to do a whole bunch of cover crop this fall. There's not one lick of it that's going to go in before the crop is off. But we are literally going to follow behind the silage choppers and put cover crop in as it's as the silage is coming off the field. So on the same day, we will put cover crop in and we will seed it in. Or we'll blow it on and we'll work it in. But the point is we want to get it in the ground so it has a much better chance to get going.
0: Okay. Thanks for the question. Got this one from TH who says, your guys' information on the manganese management of crops and soils has been great. I've gotten DTPA tests done uh, with high pH. It read 9 parts per million. And where I've got a normal pH, 33 parts per million. This makes sense now. Uh, this year, I tissue tested both areas and did find the high pH area is still low in manganese at V7 and at R1.
1: Yeah, what we've talked about there is running a Malik 3 test instead of a DTPA because... Okay, what now, we find- here's something too, Brad.
0: DH uh, was watching a show from... December of 2020 and this is one of the things when you're searching for topics we've covered some of these topics 20 times over the years on Ag PhD so if you're looking back getting
1: new information let's
0: look back at 2000 and see what they said about this No, look for the most recent shows that you can because uh, yeah like Brian said we're learning every year and we're trying to update things as much as we can
1: yeah absolutely but I don't think much has changed since 2020 where we have said Malic 3 test is the way to go for manganese. We like the DTPA for really just about anything except for manganese. And the reason why is because we can't find a correlation between the malic 3 test and the DTPA test on manganese. We can on just about everything else. But every other nutrient is what I'm trying to say. But not on that one. Which tells us there's something wrong with one test or the other. Our challenge with the DTPA is when the pH is high... I don't care if on the Malik 3 test, I got 300 parts per million out there, that DTPA is still going to show low. And that's not what we're experiencing for nutrient availability or anything in the field. So that's why we would really like to see the Malik 3 test in addition to the DTPA. But again, we like DTPA for everything else.
0: Thanks for the feedback. We really appreciate that. It is Farmer Friday. That means whatever you want to talk about is uh, where we're going to head today. We're taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. Boost your
2: productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get
3: maximum spray drift control with Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Max Nozzles. The ideal nozzle for dicamba and 240 applications, providing up to 95% drift reduction. Ensure you get the best coverage on hard-to-hit targets. Learn more at Pentair.com Hypro.
2: It's planting season, race against the clock season, mistakes can't happen season, and no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster, that makes your spacing and depth more accurate, and that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gainground.
0: What can we do for you?
4: Yeah,
2: I'm looking for some nitrogen.
4: All right, we're running low, and it's awful pricey, but uh, let me check.
0: Hold. The answer to low supply and high
2: prices for nitrogen is Invita, a microbe with systemic nitrogen fixation. Invita works throughout the foliage and roots, providing a right place, right time source of nitrogen to maximize yield in corn, wheat, and soybeans. Yeah, we're all out, but... You know what? I'll take some of that (laughs) Invita. That's what I was going to recommend. Book your Invita while supplies last.
0: Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio, and we're taking your calls and questions here at the Morton Studio at 844-44-AG-PHD. Start off down in Missouri, got Mason on with us right now. How's it going, Mason?
4: I'm doing well, enjoying the weather.
0: Awesome, awesome. Yeah, it kind of throws me off when I say Mason, because that's my my firstborn son's name, and I always think about him every time I hear somebody uh, with the same name. So uh, what, what you got going on there, Mason?
4: Um, so we're, you know, in hay season right now, and, it, and I just have some questions. Um, you know, I have a ranch, about two-thirds of it is fescue, and and the other third is Bermuda grass down in the flat areas, okay. and we're doing really well, uh, producing, uh, you know, a fair amount of hay off of that. The reason that's in Bermuda on the flat ground is because I have a little bit of a drainage problem, and it's, we don't have to fight the weather as much when it dries up uh, to get that hay up. Sure. But I'm just wondering if there's a way I can incorporate some cover crops into that Um, in the Bermuda areas to try to help with drainage and if there's any benefit as well to just overall soil health or might reduce what our inputs are on that crop.
0: Yeah, but. uh, Okay, so the drainage is based on the fact it's fairly low-lying ground and you're just wondering what can suck more moisture out of that ground? Or just improve
4: the natural drainage, yeah.
0: Oh, sure. Okay. Sure. So, the first ber- thing I would do, Mason, well, a, is soil a test well, well, and well, see where we're at for talking about yeah, natural drainage, yeah, where but, we're at in the the calcium percentage in that soil. Yeah, that but can but hold
1: something. up, hold up, hold up a second here. It you is got Bermuda Brian grass. Of- well, well, yeah. But I mean, how often are you going to seed your Bermuda grass? How how can you have a cover crop when you're going to have a permanent crop out there?
4: Right. It would just be a matter of can I put can I go in no till in the fall? You know, and get something after the Bermuda has gone dormant. Um, to just grow in that environment, you know, like radishes, turnips, dry grass, something like that, something that we can uh, use, roundup, and kill um, early in the spring before the Bermuda greens up. Would there be any benefit to that?
1: Well, I mean, theoretically, if you have something that is going to pull moisture up at a time of year when your Bermuda grass isn't growing, then yeah, I suppose that could help, but How early does your Bermuda grass go dormant? Uh, We're pretty southern Missouri.
4: It probably is completely brown by uh, October 1st. We try not to hay it after Labor Day.
1: Yeah. I I, I mean, my my fear is if you throw anything else in there, it's just going to hurt your stand of Bermuda grass and now you've got less tonnage the following year. So, I I, I mean, I'd be real skeptical. I, I, I mean, if you want to try it, I'd try it on just a few acres. But even in permanent grass like that, if it's me, I'm still putting tile in. I just put it in deeper. I'd put it in at four or five feet, something like that. And you don't have to do a lot, but you could do a little bit. And that way even if okay let's say that the the tile line fills in in 10 or 15 years you still got 10 or 15 years out of it and I think you'd end up with a lot more tonnage that way than trying to get something to grow for a little while over the winter that then you have to spend money to kill every spring and then you also have to spend or I'm worried that you're going to lose tonnage so I I, I, I don't know. I, I'd be I'd be really concerned about that. But like I say, if you want to try just a little bit, try just a little bit. And same thing with the tile. Put one tile line in somewhere and just see what you get for response out of that. And then you've got the two things to compare on your own farm and then you'll really know.
4: Yes, sir. Thank you very much.
1: You bet. Yeah. Good luck you to you. Thanks, down there. Mason.
0: Said uh, also in Missouri, we've got Robert on with us right now. How are you doing, Robert? Doing fine. So what's happening on your farm? Well, we just
5: finished uh, spotting in a few wet spots that we had to go around on, on our full season beans. And uh, hopefully Monday wheat harvest starts.
0: There you go. Yeah, I saw some wheat harvest pictures online today and that really got me fired up. What what kind of wheat crop have you got? From what I've heard, the, the wheat crop just nationally, the crop conditions are not very good according to the USDA. But how about in your area?
5: Well, in our area, just to drive by and look at it, looks like we've got a normal crop. And uh, although I ought to preface that by saying we don't know what normal is anymore.
0: <laughs> Fair and, point.
5: But I mean, wheat, wheat it can be so fickle. It's the scale, tickets, and the yield monitor tells you what you got.
0: Yeah, it's it's uh, not the easiest one to predict. That's for sure, no doubt about that. Okay, well, what happens after that wheat? Then do you go back into soybeans on those acres?
5: Yes, we will double crop soybeans on, on all those acres.
0: All right. One of the things that surprises uh, my neighbors up north here when we talk about double cropping is is what maturity group that you can still plant in Missouri and it'll be just fine. What maturity group will it be, Robert, that you're going in with on the double crop?
5: Most of ours are uh, mid to late group four. But, I mean, in previous years, we've gotten away with as high as a five, three to five, five and, and, and still made a,
0: a good crop. Wow. And and up here, you know, we're still trying to plant some acres and guys are shifting down into the group zeros and double zeros, hoping that we'll make it before frost. So yeah, it must be, must be nice. That's one of the, the good things about having all the heat and, and everything you, you get down in Missouri. Well, we have the
5: heat and then we try to keep our wheat acres on the good well-drained ground with the pivot irrigation system so not the pivot not so much for the wheat but the double crop beans you know you don't want them to ever have a bad day
0: oh hey that's a great idea yeah if you've got irrigation that sure helps to make sure you you take off right away how about the weed control on the double crop beans are there any big challenges that you run into or by planting them later have you missed the first couple flushes of water hemp or or Palmer? yeah
5: we we uh our, our weed control on our later beans are, are pretty good. Now, Now we, we go past our uh, the canvas spray date, but we'll, we'll still come down with a couple good uh, overlapping residual pres And then uh, usually the program after that is a shot of Liberty, a little warrant with it for a little additional residual. And we get along pretty well.
0: Yeah, that's that's awesome. How how does the corn look? I was just through the far western part of Missouri yesterday, and the corn there is much larger than back home. I was kind of excited about that. How about on your farm?
5: Our our corn, we uh, we planted our first corn three weeks later than normal. We we try to start around the twenty fifth of March. We started this year on the twentieth of April, and uh, it's you know, it's about waist high now. It, it's usually shoulder high by now, but we're going to get some intense heat next week. And with the moisture we can put through the pivots, it'll it'll catch up with where it's supposed to be.
0: Yeah, no kidding. That is going to grow really, really fast. And at that timing, a lot of folks start talking about fungicides and diseases. Are, are you worried about any certain diseases this year? Is there talk about tar spot down in your area or uh, have you got other diseases that you're more worried about?
5: We've, we've never had an outbreak of tar spot here that I'm aware of. What we usually get around tassel time that we have to watch for is if if we're getting a good strong southern wind current, we can get some southern rust. And, and we, we try to stay on top of that with fungicide
0: sure sure yeah that's that's no fun to deal with either and and a lot of folks up further uh, north and east of you that have gotten the tar spot some have said oh man I thought I had southern rust going out there but then I tried to rub off those spots and they couldn't rub them off so they they knew it was right. tar spot so be something to watch this year it's going to be interesting for sure especially with these market prices we want to have all the yield we can possibly get
5: well we we're, we're wanting to do everything that we feel like it. I really didn't. I don't mind spending any money on a crop. I, I'm not worried about what it costs. I'm looking at return on investment. If it will pay me back for what I'm doing to it, I'm all for it.
0: Absolutely, I love your way of thinking. That's exactly how uh, how our dad always talked to Brian and me too. We're focused on not what we spend, but what we're going to end up net in our pockets at the end of the year. It's return on investment. That's right. Awesome. Well, Robert, thank you so much. Good luck with wheat harvest next week. I know you're going to have some hot weather for sure, but uh, hopefully the yields turn out better than you think.
5: Well, it's always hot at wheat harvest and usually every air conditioner on the farm goes on strike. So we'll just (laughs) see what...
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Hey, thanks, Robert. Really appreciate it.
5: You bet. Thanks, guys.
0: It's Farmer Friday here on Ag PhD Radio, man. It's fun talking to, to farmers all over, especially this time of year when you get a lot of things going on out in the field. If you have an agronomic question, we'd love to hear from you at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back.
2: Take a second and listen You hear that? That's the sound of your roots growing where they've never gone before. There are additional nutrients and water in your soil, hidden in tough-to-reach spaces. With MycoApply Endoprime, hyphae attached to the root hairs to reach small areas inaccessible to big roots, even some that are tied up in the soil. Applied in furrow at planting, MycoApply Endoprime uses four, four unique species of mycorrhizal fungi to go where roots can't. Unlock the potential of your corn crop with MycoApply Endoprime, and by nurturing your soil today, you're helping to ensure future harvest will be just as bountiful. For more information, talk to your local retailer or visit valent.com endoprime. Always read and follow label instructions. Maximum application flexibility. Maximum yields at harvest, whether or not. Relentless is the kind of control you'll always get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Low use rate Anthem Max Herbicide protects corn and soybean crops from the toughest broadleaf weeds and grasses, including water hemp, palmer pigweed, foxtails, crabgrass, and more. Dual modes of action and lasting overlapping residuals also help you minimize resistance in your fields. It's easy to tank mix formulation and wide application window make Anthem Max Herbicide the crop protection choice that's ready when you are. Rain or shine, weather or not, relentless, that's Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions.
0: You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. We're broadcasting live here from the Morton Studio and taking your calls and questions at 844 44 ag PhD. We'll go over to Indiana next. We got Ted on with us right now. Ted, I hear the crops look pretty good in Indiana. How about in your area?
6: Well, Darren, uh, in my particular area, we are wet and behind. Uh, we had a small window to plant in early May and what was planted then looks really good. And then we didn't get started again till about a week ago. Oh boy. And, uh, most people are finishing up, but I'm actually replanting beans that I planted a week ago today. Um,
0: well, that's which no fun.
6: Led me to my question. No, no, no. Um, I have I uh, have a cereal rye and triticale uh, wheat rotation uh, where I chop the cereal rye and the triticale in the spring uh, to feed our cow calf operation. And I feel like over the last couple of years, I've noticed uh, what I feel like I'm creating a compaction issue because we have such a small window to chop. Because when that cereal rye and triticale gets ready, you have like a week and then it turns to straw. And uh, I'm a no-tiller and I don't really want to rip the ground because we have a lot of rocks and that gets into hay mowers and choppers. Uh, I didn't know if you guys had any suggestions, like maybe planting some uh, radishes, maybe with my cereal rye in the fall. Uh, I don't know. What are, you know? What What are your thoughts?
1: Sure. So Ted, we just had a question fairly similar to this a little bit ago. The difference was that farmer was trying to do it in perennial grass, whereas you're not. So we're talking annual grass here. So yeah, if you want to put some kind of cover crop out in the fall. Um, I mean, to go along with this, could you do that and would that help a little bit? Yeah, it might help a little bit. But honestly, the two bigger factors or three bigger factors I'd look at are, are here they are. Number one is how high are your calcium levels in your soil? Do you know?
6: Not off the top of my head. Okay,
1: no. so here's what we want you to look at. We would like that calcium percentage. So if you got a base saturation test, and if if it, 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 I, I'd put it this way, if you're not, if you're unsure of what you're looking at, just send us your soil tests. We'll look at them and then we can tell you. But. With calcium, we want that in the 65 to 75% range on a base saturation test. If your calcium levels are too low, then that tells us that your soil will compact more easily. So that could be one of the things. The next thing is organic matter level in that soil. Now, I'm assuming because you're no-tilling and you're doing uh, these crops that you're, you you said, I'm assuming your your soil's organic matter level is pretty decent. Is it?
6: Yes, because I'm able to put a layer of manure on uh, about every year.
1: Okay. So if you've got a good amount of soil organic matter in there, that helps a lot. That makes your soil more spongy and you're less likely to compact. And then the last thing I'm going to throw out to you, which you may not like because of your rocks, tile. Tile. So in, in, in terms of trying to no-till or even do almost any kind of reduced till, we talk about tile so much because all we're trying to do is keep that water table down. And if you have your water table down, that means there's more air in the soil. So you have more soil life and then it's a lot harder to compact that soil. So those are the things that I would look at. So if you're good on organic matter, I'd look at how high is your calcium percentage. If you need more calcium, put if your pH is low, put put lime out. If your pH is high, put gypsum out. And then tile, I'd really take a look at where could I tile. And I'll tell, tell you the same thing we just told the last caller in that last segment there. At least I'd be trying some. I, I mean, try some tile. Maybe if you're low on the calcium side, try some calcium and you will see over time. I mean, those are the two biggest things we talk about all the time for reducing compaction levels.
6: Uh, perfect. I just put tile, uh, this is own ground, and good. I do have a, uh, I feel good about the tile, but the calcium is something I better look at first.
1: Sure. Yep. Okay. And like I say, if you want to send us your soil tests, just go ahead and do that. We'd be happy to take a look at them for you anytime. Perfect. Thank you. You bet. Thanks, Ted. Good luck.
0: Let's head over
1: to Illinois.
0: We've got Daryl on with us right now. Daryl, how's it going?
1: I'm just fine. How are you?
0: Pretty good. Pretty good. What's happening on your farm?
7: Um, Just like the previous caller, our immediate area, we were real late planting, and uh, a lot of people are just finishing up soybean planting right now. But the, the corn uh, that what I was calling about was our our bigger corn is six to eight inches tall, but we had a lot of drowned out spots that were replanted, and some of that corn is only an inch or two tall. And the bigger corn, is it's time to side dress but our forecast for the next 10 days is going to be 95 to 100 degrees and we couldn't miss a rain and now this last week we've missed them all and uh, I was just wondering what is is there a a is there a penalty, yield penalty if you put the anhydrous on too late uh, as far as the the and corn get too big versus Opening, we're our, our clay-based soils that dry out real quick. Uh, I'm a little nervous about dragging a knife through the field, and then we have 100 degrees for 10 days and no rain. I, I guess I was just kind of curious about what's your opinion on, w- would you do it now anyway, or would you wait he- 10 days and see if the heat subsides and get some rain again?
1: Hey, Daryl, let me ask you this. Have you done any pre-side dress nitrate tests, or, or do you know kind of where your nitrogen levels are at in your soil right now?
7: No, I haven't pulled anything but we put the, it on various forms we've had 50 to 75 pounds of in kind of, uh pre plant or at planning time. So it, there there's nothing it's it's not like there's nothing there now but uh yeah. I would just uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, but that, that's not much. And and I think you know where I'm going with this. What I'm worried about is, okay, it turns hot and all of a sudden your corn goes to waist high in 10 days and, and it starts needing a lot of nitrogen. I mean, the, the good thing I will say with nitrogen is most of it gets used by the plant late in the season. So it's, I, I just thinking off the top of my head, it's something like 80% of the nitrogen use in the plant is after that corn is roughly chest high or shoulder high, something like that. So So a lot of it gets used late, but by the same token, if your crop runs short on nitrogen at all, then there's absolutely a penalty for that, a yield penalty. So we we always prefer to be on the early side rather than the late side. Now, obviously you got all kinds of time for your one to two inch tall corn, but it's that six to eight inch tall corn that I'm worried about a little bit, that that's just going to take off on you. I I mean, it's a, it's a judgment call. I I, I mean, we don't know when the rain's going to come. So I, I, I guess I'll just tell you what I do on my farm. So if, if, and let me ask you one more question. Had you done any soil testing? So do we know, was there any amount of carryover nitrogen going into the year besides this 50 to 75 pounds that you put on already?
7: The the soil test that my son pulled he he didn't pull nitrate test at the time so no okay. I, as, as far there's been no nitrate test of any kind pulled
1: what 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 crop what, what crop last year was it beans last year or corn soybeans yes okay, beans. Soy, corn oh. and soybean rotation okay so at least you don't have a whole bunch of tie up going on all right so I mean honestly if it's me I I'm I would probably do it I, I'd probably put that nitrogen on sooner rather than later on our own farm I like to have 150 pounds out there early and in a in a clay soil because I'm just so worried we we've we've tried many different things over the years and when we go low rate early and we wait too long it hurts us almost every time so if it's me I'm probably going to go sooner rather than later and I'm going to hope for rain the flip side of this is if You say, okay, well, I want to wait. Then I'd definitely be doing it when you see, hey, in the forecast, in the next couple, three days, it looks like a real good chance for rain. So those are, in my opinion, those are your best two options. Either one, do it right away, or two, just wait a little bit, see when there's rain in the forecast, then get out and hit it.
7: Okay, Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate the information.
1: Yeah, you bet. And and sorry, I wish there was some magic No, no, answer. I understand. It's
7: it's, it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just, uh, you kind of, the, the part I'm worried about is just that it we're just that part of the country that we're always two days or two weeks away from a drought, and, and you just run that knife through there, and then it gets to be 100 degrees, and I just wondered if we'd be going backwards as opposed to waiting a week or so. And, and then doing it.
1: I, of, I I feel what the, my son and
7: I are debating about so
1: Yep. I, I feel the same way. We on on our own farm, we worry about drought all the time too. So very often when we're gonna put nitrogen on, especially if we're going to somehow inject it or open that soil up at all, we try to time it right before rain, but that, that sometimes gets tough. Hey Daryl, thanks for the call. Stay tuned, we'll be right back.
6: Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash Howler to learn more.
4: Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers it doesn't matter if you're young or old man or woman when there's work to be done you put your boots on and you do it i do that on my farm and in my job at case ih my name is kelsey i'm a farmer and i work for case ih
0: case ih built by farmers Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for
2: Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Man, what a fun show so far. It's been lots of different questions from all across the country. It's Farmer Friday. That's what we do here. So if you'd like to get a question in or you want to talk about what's happening on your farm, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head down to Oklahoma. we got Jerry on us. Jerry on with a question on gibberellic acid. Jerry, how you doing? Doing well, Thanks. Yeah, my question is, uh, for our corns, about
7: uh, 10-leaf, you know, anywhere from waist high to chest high, is it too late to apply that if we're going for silage to have much benefit?
1: Yep. Yeah, what they're going to tell you, even on the label, is like V2 to V6. So it's an early thing when the weather is cold. Uh, Like, for example, just tell me, what are your daytime highs and nighttime lows right now, roughly, Jerry?
4: Well, we're going
5: into a heat wave, so it's going to <laughs> yep. be in the 90s for the next week or 10 days. Yeah. And, What's it been, you know, though? Down what? in the... Oh, it's been great for <laughs> <The> a <last laughs> couple of weeks, mostly in the 80s or 70s.
1: <laughs> yep. So... to. I, I assumed that it was probably that because we've had about perfect weather here for rise up and our corn is little. I mean, there are a lot of people that are in that V2 to V6 range in our area and the daytime highs for us were in the 60s and the nighttime we were in the low 50s. And that's usually the kind of temperature range that we're talking about. What happens when the temperature and the highs get into the 80s for you, you've got all kinds of gibberellic acid being produced naturally in that corn. So to add more Probably isn't going to do you a whole lot of good, so that that wouldn't be something we would advise you to do at this point, and I don't think anybody else would either. It's just it's a little past the stage now.
5: Okay, all right. Well, maybe we'll look at it next
1: year. Then. I guess. <laughs> yep. Start earlier. Yep. And and I would say too, if as a livestock producer, if you have any pasture or anything like that. This is something that can go on your pasture also, gibberellic acid, in the early spring or late in the fall when, like I say, let's say those daytime highs are at best hitting 70, the nighttime it's getting down into the low 50, something like that, or less. Uh, You can certainly do it then because the whole point is this gibberellic acid tells the plant to grow taller and we want that so we get more tonnage. But again, when there's plenty of heat, then the gibberellic acid is naturally produced at pretty high amounts in your plant so nope i think you can save your money at least for now jerry and uh try her again uh maybe in the fall on pasture or next spring in the silage
5: when you've done that on silage is yep. that corn plant more susceptible to green snap since you're basically elongating it
1: um
0: we you know, have normally Go ahead. normally what we see with with uh that particular product, gibberellic acid, is we do see that stock getting a little more sturdy on wheat. And I, I can't say that I've seen any green snap data on corn, but on wheat, we've had less lodging where farmers have used it, which seems like, you know, hey, I'm going to shoot up and have more internode elongation, but it actually makes that stock just a little bit thicker. So we, we have seen good data on wheat. I, I can't tell you on the green snap, though, for sure.
1: But I, I would say this, Jerry, one of the key things when we talk about green snap or any kind of lodging in corn is potassium levels. So if you have livestock, are you spreading manure back out? and do you have pretty good levels of potassium in your soil
5: well we do spread the manure yes but we don't have all that much enough to cover all of our corn ground but yeah we potassium levels are pretty
1: good for us sure yep so that's the big key we we're always talking to people about this at least four percent base saturation potassium if not six plus and so I, I i'm i'm not that worried about it i know we've used it on all our silage corn we got probably well, better than two thousand acres this year of silage corn we put rise up on every bit of it now initially i'll tell you something too the plants may turn a little more yellow, and so you think, "Oh, something's wrong, or I'm short on nitrogen." No, it's neither. That's just there. There's so much uh, gibberellic acid then in that plant it's forcing growth. The plant's going to look a little bit discolored, but it comes right out of it. It's fine. We've done this many times over the years. That plant can absolutely get taller. So a lot of times we've seen an extra foot of growth on that corn when we time the gibberellic acid application right in the spring. So it, it's fairly substantial and it, and it's pretty proven. And we'll see increase on, on pasture grasses as well when we use it. So no, it's a good product and it's pretty inexpensive. All right. Thank you. You Appreciate it. Yep. Thanks for the call.
0: Set up to Ontario, Canada. We've got Jim on requesting more sunshine and warm temperatures. Jim, so are we. That would be perfect right here.
3: Wow. We just, we've had uh, four plus inches of rain in the last seven days.
0: Wow. And we don't
3: need any more. (laughs) No. Did you get the crop in first? Um, Mostly. Uh, we're tobacco, so we've got most of it in. We've got six acres that we couldn't get in because of the first downpour. And we went to our sandier ground, and now we can't get into our wettest ground, which we left hoping we could get back into it. But I don't I don't know if we'll get into it at all. It's getting kind of late. Yeah.
0: yeah. Hey, let me ask you about the tobacco. And I haven't been in tobacco fields up in Ontario, but I know in the United States, the tobacco is generally raised on... Uh, raised beds. Do you do the same practices up there?
3: Uh, Yeah, we begin in a bed raised uh, because we sterilize the soil a bit for nematode control and uh, then we knock it down slightly and then we kind of plant on the raised bed. Uh, Tobacco doesn't like to have wet feet and it's got wet feet right now.
0: Yeah yeah no doubt about that but
3: yeah we we like we like to try and keep it as high as we can so that it doesn't get too wet but uh we had no way around it this year Uh, we got some wet spots that you know we can't even walk through right now so they're going to be probably a loss
0: yeah that that is a shame that's a a pretty valuable crop too to to take some loss out in areas of the field do you have uh, how often can you have tobacco in a field do you have a certain number of years between rotations
3: um, typically, we like to rotate it every couple years. Uh, we've got some farms that we've had tobacco over tobacco, mostly on our heavier ground because we find that that heavier ground, once we start working it year after year, it, it tends to work better. Uh, we, we really deep deep rip uh, with a soil saver and go down deep to break the hard pan so that we get good drainage. And we've actually got some pretty good heavy ground.
0: Awesome. Awesome. What, what else does tobacco like? Is there a certain fertility mix that you like or a certain soil pH that you try to hit?
3: Yeah, we like, we uh, go in with about 70 pounds of N. Uh, we like to keep our, our phosphate down, our potash up. Um, yeah, we like to, like sandy dry ground, and that seems to be the best. If we irrigate, it's the best.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you're begging for the moisture and you can apply it as needed, that's kind of nice, and you can control that situation. No doubt about that. How about diseases up yep. there? Now I know you've got a little different climate than uh, where in the southern U.S. a lot of tobacco is grown here. So I'm sure there's some advantages to that, but I'm sure there's some disadvantages too. Is disease one of the disadvantages? Because you're a little cooler, a little wetter, or or is that a is that a good thing for you? Uh- we have
3: had in the past uh, some mold issues come up from the south, actually. Uh, they carry in on, on some trade winds, they call it. Uh, blue mold, and that was back in the 90s, was really devastating. Um, but right now, because we have such a short day crop, uh, we're done by the middle of September. So our plants are in the ground for a short time, so the, uh, the disease pressure is minimal uh, mostly our, our pressures from insects.
0: Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. The, the bugs are always going to find a crop like that. No doubt about it. And, and come after you. So, uh, wet weather right now, if we get some sunshine and heat, uh, I guess what does it look like? Do you think you're going to still turn around and have a really good crop?
3: Yeah. With the, the moisture that we have in the ground now, uh, we try to cultivate, you know, weekly and, uh, so if it dries, if the, the the weather is dry for a week, uh, things change dramatically. It'll grow, it'll double in size in a week. So by this time next week, we could be looking at some knee-high tobacco.
0: Well, we've got some heat that headed was- your way, Jim. If we can get the sunshine as well, I think we might have this. Hey, Jim, good talking to you. Really appreciate learning a little more about tobacco and what's happening on your farm. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
3: With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com.
2: Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farmshop MFG can increase your stored bean's moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more.
6: Compromise is nice
0: You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on Farmer Friday. We're taking your questions, radio at agphd.com or by phone, 844-44-AG-PHD. Got this one from Chip out in Utah. He said, we've got a triticale silage corn rotation. If we don't spray out the triticale before harvesting, the trit will come back strong in the corn. How much damage does this do to our corn yield if we spray the triticale residual after it greens back up about 10 days after planting and just as the corn's emerging. Even if we spray before harvest, we'll still have some grow back. And I'm wondering if we just waited to spray once, if we're doing a lot of damage to our corn.
1: Well, the biggest factor here is the moisture loss. So I I can just tell you in my experience, if I'm in a dry area then I'm absolutely going to spray twice. I'm going to terminate as early as possible, anything that's come back, and I'm going to spray in crop as as soon as I see anything growing because i got to save the moisture. Now, if I'm in a super wet area, I'm really not that worried about it. Spraying once is probably going to be fine. So it's really a moisture factor that I am most concerned about. But, well, I realize triticale's crop for you. As soon as that corn gets planted, it's now become a weed. And our advice is always eliminate weeds as quickly as you can because any weed growing any time usually hurts yield. All right, thanks for the question. Uh, I got this one from
0: Christian up in Manitoba, and he said, guys, uh, just following up here on NutriScan or any of these other uh, get-your-soil-or-plant-tissue-test-results-immediately-out-in-the-field tools. Uh, Have you found any that worked, and if so, uh, do you believe the data? Is it good and accurate information?
1: We haven't researched it enough, so at this point I can't really tell you yep, that's a great investment, or no, it's terrible. I mean, my dream, and I've I've told many companies this, I've told lots of people this over the years, my dream is I would like to be able to go through the field with my fertilizer applicator that would have about, I don't know, six or eight different bins in it so I could put on any type of fertilizer I needed, and I could sense what that fertility level is in the soil, and I could then at that moment drop down whatever I need to, to get my soil balanced. So is the equipment side possible? Yes. Other than that technology or scan side at this point, I don't know how good a NutriScan or any of those things are. We're working on testing some of that stuff. So hopefully we're, we're going to know in the not too distant future. And just like all technology, I mean, it's going to most likely continue to improve over time. So yeah, I'm excited about the future.
0: All right, uh, get a question here from Alex down in West Central Missouri and uh, he said, my question here today revolves around getting beans planted as soon as possible. We've got a majority of our acres in Triticale that we'll chop for silage, hopefully soon. Uh, and our current chemical program, which I understand may not be ideal the more I listen to your radio programs, is we're using 240 LV6. Then we've got a week that we have to wait before we can plant soybeans. We're planting flex beans. We've got Extendamax sitting on the trailer. Would we be better just chopping the triticale, immediately planting the beans, uh, and the field is clean for a little bit after chopping, and then we can hopefully use the extend max post-emerge really quickly in a timely manner, or should we still run with the program we've been doing?
1: Well, I, I would still want to get a pre out there, but would I go in immediately and seed? Yeah, I probably would. I'd chop it off, and I'd come in the next day, and I'd be seeding the beans. As long as my field was clean right then... Even if it wasn't, I'd go in and seed the beans and then I'd put my pre on like the very next day and then I've got it done. Now, we're so concerned about weeds in soybeans and especially when we get a lot of resistant weeds that we want to make sure that pre gets on. So if you're worried about it, then I'd put the pre on and then seed right into it. Okay, So, so my order would be, hey, I'll chop. Next day I'll spray. Next day I'll plant. But like I say, you could plant and then the next day you spray. But I, I just I want to make sure you get that pre on. There's no possible chance I'm ever going to recommend to you 24d even a week in advance because sooner or later you're going to hurt your beans. So I mean, if assuming they're extend beans like you said, okay. If they were, um, well, if they were in list beans, it wouldn't hurt and I wouldn't worry about that 2,4-D. But here's the other thing. Please don't use LV-6 anymore for all our listeners. Please use Freelix or Enlist One. LV-6 drifts all over the country, volatilizes all over the country, all over North America, all over the world. I mean, it's caused hundreds of millions of dollars in damage on crops and non-crops. So let's quit using it just as farmers lv6 just use the new stuff that doesn't volatilize it's similar money anyway okay so i'm, I'm done with my well, rant and, and there why would 24D. you do that
0: when you're doing extend flex or extend right just
1: and, use right just
0: use dicamba yeah use dicamba out there that's that's the way to go if use, you need use, to burn down yeah use the extend max yep. okay other thing that alex said he goes on a side note i try to pay more and more attention to a lot of the details that you guys are talking about with chemical pres and posts and Got thinking the other day, it'd be nice to have a handy chart to look at for all the options in corn and soybeans, maybe categorized by groups. Maybe you guys already have that, or maybe I just need to sit down with a pen and paper
1: more often when I'm listening. Okay, we do have the Ag PhD Field Guide app, so you can look at, many different weeds and see what our recommendation would be
0: yeah and we've got the mode of action app too where yep. where we look at what the different mode of, modes of action are as well so yeah you're right we do have some of those things and then Alex I'd say this too check out one of our meetings in the winter where we lay all these things out uh, and and give you a pretty handy book to take home and use throughout the growing season too with a lot of different reference tools. Uh, but you can find a lot of information at agphd.com when you have time too.
1: Yep. There are just a lot of variables and so we don't want to put out information that gets you doing something that we wouldn't want you to do simply because we didn't know this other variable that you had out there. So that's why a lot of times here on the show we're, we're talking to somebody about their weed issue or whatever problem they have And you go, come on, guys, get to the answer eventually, because we're busy asking questions. We want to find out some of those things. And so it, it just becomes that much more difficult to create some kind of chart when we have all those factors to talk through.
0: Thanks for the questions and comments. really appreciate that. Uh, I got this one in from Brian. He said, I'm planting spring wheat, 80 pounds per acre, into a recrop situation, usually putting on 65 pounds per acre of 1152 oh, But the way prices are, I had to cut it in half, down to about 34 pounds per acre. Wondering, will I still be able to get a decent crop with sure. half fertilizer and no top dress? It's expensive.
1: I feel like I have to cut back. It's interesting how in the past, studies I've seen show that the first half of your fertilizer you apply gives you a way better return on investment than the second half. But here's the thing, and this is what our dad always talked to us about. He said, okay, eventually times are going to get tough. When times get tough, here's my number one piece of advice for you. Don't cut stuff that's making you money. So just because input costs are high, he said, that does not mean you need to cut. You only cut if that input cost is now so high that it doesn't allow you to make money. So I'll just tell you on our own farm, we haven't cut fertility. In fact, we're increasing fertility, even though the price is, I'm just going to say it, ridiculous in my opinion. But we look at the crop price and we go, whoa, I I really want to raise a great crop here. So when I look at the price of wheat or corn or soybeans, I'm probably not going to be cutting back on any fertility. Thanks for the question. Really appreciate that. Get this from Sherman. He said, guys, you talk about
0: moldboard plows every once in a while, and in some soils, you might need to use one every year, but take this from someone who used to be certified organic and saw the effects of, t- of tilling up ground into oblivion to have weed control. Please only do it if it's necessary. It just obliterates soil structure and drastically increases your chances of erosion. Every time that I see the dust fly, I think it's dollar bills of fertility flying away. The only thing I would consider plowing for now is to combat nutrient stratification. Even then, I'd hate to do it. I still remember how soft the ground was. It's like walking on pillows with no integrity left
1: we i think we talked about moldboard Certainly. plowing on one tv show like Boy, did I 6 get a lot months of ago <laughs> and we continue to get, get people seeing those past episodes and everything but anyway yeah there are, you in most areas you can farm however you want to farm and so we try to help you through whether you're conventional till no till strip till whether you're raising crops with herbicides or crops with organic we're going to try to help you through whatever you do so you can raise the most bushels you can do the best for the land and ultimately hopefully you can make some money on the farm
0: Hey, I just wanted to mention something too towards the end of the show here. I know a lot of folks are making plans for their summers and looking at what's going on late in July. We've got the AG PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 28th. We are super excited. We've got more to show you than ever before. There'll be more equipment there to see than ever before as well. So, that's really going to be exciting. Again, it's the AG PhD Field Day Thursday, July 28th. Check out agphd.com to pre-register and for more details. Thanks for listening to our show today. Join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.